Welcome, everybody. Good to see you here this morning. Um, would you mind swinging that door too, please, Dale? And we'll get started. Uh, before we take off, I want to remind everybody, uh, this coming Saturday, uh, the 24th is Ranch Day out at uh, Lighthouse Ranch for Boys in La Roger. And uh, going to be lots of food, lots of music, and uh, just have a good time. want to encourage everybody to come out to that special day for everybody. Uh, last Sunday, we kicked off a new series uh, entitled Boxes. And as I said last Sunday, this is, this is not my material. I wish I could claim it, uh, but it's not mine. I was introduced to it through a close friend of mine um, that I miss very much. His name's Royce, and he leads a church in the Seattle area. Uh, in spite of his reigning status as the worst texting friend I have, he texted me back within an hour last week. I said, hey, man, where's this, where'd this come from? And uh, he sent me the scoop on his material. This is actually adapted from a book that he read called Leadership and Self-Deception, Getting Out of the Box. And it's really a business, more of a business acumen. It's published by the Arbinger Group. came out in 2000. It has a business focus. But... It has some spiritual applications as well. I just wanted to recommend that to you um, for those of you that are of the mind to read that kind of thing, leadership and self-deception, getting out of the box. Um, we are going to continue diving into the spiritual applications of that today. We started this introduction last Sunday. We'll finish the introduction today, and then I'll talk to you about kind of where we're going with this over the next few weeks. Um, <clears throat> as we saw last Sunday, the nature of this series really is about perspective. It's about finding the root that's causing all of the rotten fruit. It's seeing the problem beneath the problem. And because of our lack of perspective, what we often think of as the problem isn't really the problem at all. Being inside our boxes, we're usually unable to clearly see the heart of the issue. And I want to remind you just briefly about a story that we started with last week. Uh, the Austrian tailor named Franz Reichelt, back at the beginning of the 1900s, uh, was trying to develop a new parachute for pilots. And he ignored experts and his own data in this foolish assertion that his design for a parachute was going to work, even though his own tests told him it wouldn't, even though the math told him it wouldn't, even though the experts told him it's not going to work. In spite of his own crashes and his own personal injuries, he refused to change his invention and clung to his bad idea in the face of obvious evidence. <clears throat> and that's the danger of a box, because the box that Reichelt was in would not allow for any new information. The box that Reichelt was in was about needing to be right. And all of us battle with that. We battle with that compulsion about needing to be right. So from there we went to John chapter 8, the woman caught in the act of adultery. And I want to take the time to read that uh, little, little story in its entirety today. And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It won't take long. In verse 3 it says, And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in, in the act of adultery. Come on. There we go. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up 
again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. So last week we started looking at the boxes exposed early on in this story, cultural ideas, uh, religious perspectives that lead really to people being treated as objects. Their humanity is stripped away and they become really just a means to an end. And that end is, I want to make sure I'm right. I'm not going to treat you like a person. I'm going to treat you as an object. You're a means to an end to make sure that I stay right. And we're not going to take the time today to go back through all the stuff from Blaise Pascal and his ideas about why we do that. But here it is in a nutshell. And this is just an idea, but I find it an intriguing one. He said that we are inherently miserable because we lost what we once had. Humanity as a whole, we're just miserable. And we're miserable because we've lost something that we used to have. We were once in right standing with our Creator. But because of sin, that right standing is lost. And we are lost. And the box of needing to be right eats our lunch. Because being right is hardwired into us. And in spite of our best efforts to self-correct, we're still miserable. Why? Because we can't make ourselves right. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Jesus came to justify us. He came to make us right. Because we couldn't do it ourselves. We could not self-correct. No matter what we try to do, Dale, no matter how much we read, no matter how much we study, no matter how much we pray, we are still not going to be able to make ourselves right. That's the redemptive work of Jesus that does that. We had to be made right because we weren't right. And so the fundamental position of all of you people in here, because you're Jesus followers, your fundamental position is you're not right and I'm not right. We should work on keeping that in mind a little bit. So let's take off. Back to John 8. We had to leave this poor woman there, thrown before Jesus by the religious elite last week. We want to fix that. We want to go back to the story. So there she is. She's this object, this tool that they are using to make a point. Now, what was the point they were trying to make? I'm opening that question up to everybody. What, what was the point they were trying to make? Wow. Thank you. Yeah, they want to prove Jesus wrong. This, it, it wasn't about her restoration. It wasn't about how she felt. It wasn't about her humanity. It wasn't about how to restore her broken marriage. It wasn't about how to heal her brokenness. It was about who's right, who's wrong. The point was about how to uphold the law and a specific interpretation of the law. It was more about a religious group needing to prove publicly that they were right. Does that sound familiar? 
It's so ironic that in an effort to prove rightness, we usually do the very things that make us unright. It's not even a word, but there you go. Rightness. Righteousness. Is it, that's about embracing the work of Jesus. Righteousness is about character. It's about the fruit of the Spirit. Way, way more than it is a particular position. And what we wind up doing is we wind up forfeiting the fruit of the Spirit and the character of God in order to take an intellectual stance and prove I'm right. But whenever we get so fixated on who's right, who's wrong, then the character, having the character of God and having the fruit of the Spirit goes, goes right out the window. And we'll even, we'll, even, we'll even slap some Bible on it. To make it look good, we'll put all kinds of scriptures around it. And it'll, it'll sound right, it'll feel right. Careful, careful, careful. It'll look right in your own eyes. Proverbs says what? That there's a way that seemeth right to a man, but in the end leads to destruction. It'll sound right, look right, feel right, because we put Bible on it, but it's nothing like Jesus. So they, they throw her down. They, they point her out. And the point is more about dethroning Christ. It's more about embarrassing Jesus. We've got to get this loose cannon maverick who's, chal <laughs> who's challenging the way we've always done it. Glory to God, we're going to, we're going to shut His mouth. So let's get this challenger to our tradition out of the way. He's going to have a bigger church than we do if we, if we let Him keep going. And, and by God, we can't have that. Because if you're not going to our church, you're not going to be saved. Wow! That hit some of you right there. Okay, good. Because y'all know, you, you came from that environment. Or you might even think you're in that environment now. We're, we're trying to do better. but We've we got we to lock this maverick down. We've got to discredit him. You know, whenever the, whenever the spirit of religion sinks its hooks into people, then everything you do to maintain it and, and, and to edify, to lift up that construct of religion is going to be justified. Whatever you have to do, the end is going to justify the means just to make sure tradition stays in its rightful place. Being right makes it okay all of a sudden for you to dehumanize someone. When you're right and you have to be right at any cost, that's... That's the danger of a box. And that's just one of the boxes at work in this story. So how, how does Jesus respond to that? They, they throw this woman down. She was caught in the act of adultery. Maybe. Is she clothed? She's, she's humiliated. Everybody knows exactly what she did. This woman, she, she's caught in the act of adultery and Moses' law says she should be stoned. Now, I'm not going to get bogged down in a whole lot of particulars about this today, but it, it, it's actually pretty deep. Roman law didn't allow for this sort of thing. Roman law did not allow for executions for this, this kind of stuff. So, in their minds, uh, you know, they've got, they've got Jesus in a bit of a pickle. Uh, you know, this, this is going to be difficult. We, we got him. How's he going to appease the people?
by upholding the law of Moses and then still appear to be this merciful leader who's preaching grace and mercy like he has been. So, you know, we, we've got Jesus in a bind. He preaches all this mercy and forgiveness stuff, and, and we're going we're gonna to make Jesus look like a fool. We, we're going to make Jesus look like an idiot. And the fuel for their efforts, the primary resource for their religious endeavors here, was a broken life. We're going to make, we're going to discredit this guy who's opposed, I want to frame this the right way. We're going to discredit this guy that opposes the way we've always done it. And we're going to use a broken life as the resource to do it. I, I know I've, I'm hitting on this point. I hit on it a lot last week. I'm, I'm, I'm going to hammer it again this week, but it's been hammering me pretty hard over the last few weeks. We cannot... We cannot engage in public and private political, cultural discourse at the expense of hurting other people. I don't know how to make it any more practical than that, Brian. Jesus would not approve. He would not approve. We, let's be Christian and be consistent with His character. So, so what do you what do you say, Jesus? What 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 are you going to do about this lady? We've we've caught in the act of adultery. You know, this is it's interesting. This is the only recorded instance that we have in Scripture of Jesus writing. So he stoops down, and he starts to write on the ground, and and we don't know what he writes. There's been a lot of speculation. Some people think that uh, maybe he wrote the man, name of the man that was with the woman. Um, some people think that he wrote the names of all of the religious leaders who had been with the woman. Because, I mean, how did they know to go get her, right, if she was caught in the act of adultery? And there's some historical evidence that the Pharisees were so distrustful of each other that they actually spied on each other so that they could, uh, you know, use some political dirt to climb the, climb the ladder. But, um, you know, maybe, maybe Jesus just stooped down and wrote, Where is the dude? Question mark. Because Jesus, Jesus has never been in a box. Nobody's ever put Jesus in a pickle. But he, he's never had the constraints of the box that we operate from so often. He, Jesus is a box wrecker. He's a, he's a box burner. And so what, maybe what he writes is something that points out what makes you religious cats thinks, think it's okay to bring her here? Why is it okay to wreck her world and hold her accountable and nobody else? As a matter of fact, if you want to go ahead and run out that line of thinking, what makes all you religious guys think that it's okay to hold her accountable and not hold yourselves accountable? Because that's where the story's going, right? Why is, why is this one person expendable and not another? Why is this woman expendable and not the man? Why is this woman expendable and not one of you other guys? So what we have is, is Jesus, he's, he's doodling on the ground. And, and some of the, the, the first apostolic fathers, that's, that's what they noted here in the historical record, is that he, he was doodling. 
Anybody else doodle? Like whenever you're talking on the phone or something? It's an interesting side note. In that culture, if you came to someone with this deep theological or philosophical or cultural question, and, and the other person starts to, uh, maybe they stoop down and they uh, like dust off their sandals or they start to adjust their robe, what they're, or, or to stoop down and write in the dirt, what they were saying is, your question is not worthy of my engagement. And we wonder sometimes why there's not more demonstration of the power of God if we're involved in dehumanizing people in order to make our religious point, then Jesus is going to doodle. Oh, oh you, you need supernatural power. Oh, okay. Oh, you need the gifts of the Spirit to work in your life? All right, all right. Sure you do. You're not worthy of my engagement because you're just in this to justify yourself while the hurting people in your life just get run over. And the only way I'm going to engage with you is when you recognize the need you have for me to come into your life and make you right. You're too busy trying to dethrone me and enthrone yourself. And that's not how, it, how this works. It can't work that way. And so we get frustrated. I'll make this more personal. I get frustrated when Jesus doodles and doesn't answer my big questions. Oh God, where, where are you, God? I need your power right now. And Jesus says, you need to tend to that broken woman over there. You need to show my character to a broken life. You need to extend love to that thing that you don't agree with, that thing that you don't endorse. Jesus doodles. But they, they were insistent. It says that they, they kept pushing Him. They wouldn't leave Him alone. They kept on and on. So finally Jesus says, all right, Okay. Have it your way. The sinless one. You get to cast the first stone. You, you can start the party. The perfect one among you, you're the one who gets to start the execution. The one among you that, that's never fallen, that's never had a bad thought, that's never broken any part of the law, the one of you that's absolutely a perfect, then you go ahead and get it started. And I love it because that's the point in the story where the, the box breaks open and all of the air just kind of leaves the room. Y'all have had experiences like it. It'll happen in the break room at work. It'll happen out on the job site. It'll even happen at church around here a little bit if you want to get crazy. Whenever somebody just gets out of the box and it's like the air just goes right out of the room. And all of a sudden, there's a whole different atmosphere in the place. Because we're in a new dimension. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I mean it literally. Because whenever we do that, whenever we step outside of those boxes, a new dimension comes in. It's one that says, come in, be a part, come out of the box. Because this is a new way of thinking. It's a new way of looking at people. When you... When you break the box open, whatever the box is, we're talking about the box of being right. 
Okay, you, you slap whatever label you want to on the outside of the box. But whenever you break that box open, this is what happens. All of a sudden, people don't have to deal in dumb dichotomies anymore. Dichotomy, it's either this or that. Dichotomy means it's got to be one choice or the other choice. Well, all of a sudden, it doesn't work that way anymore because the way of Christ suddenly introduces this third previously unthought of, unknown, unheard of option that upholds the Word of God and never dehumanizes anybody in the process. So it's not either you're going to uphold Moses' law and break Roman law, or you're going to uphold Roman law and break Moses. The way Jesus does things, we're not ever stuck in an either-or type of situation. He is going to introduce a third option that's outside of the box. It's going to manifest love and righteousness. It's going to manifest mercy and obedience. So, put that in your pipe and smoke it. It's got everybody going, whoa, dude, what just, what just happened? What just happened in here? Can you, I, I just, can you imagine what it was like in that moment whenever Jesus just took the wind right out of the sails of these religious leaders? Because the people in the crowd that day, you've got to figure they were getting aligned too. They, they were trying to figure out, okay, where, where's, the, where's the safe side in this? I mean, I really like Jesus, but I mean, these are the Pharisees and they, I mean, these are the church leaders. Which, which, which way do I go? They're looking for shelter. I mean, what, what's going to happen here? And, and, you know, Jesus is he's really cool, but these other guys, man, they play for keeps. And once you get on their bad side, Things get rough, and everybody's trying to figure out which side of the line to gravitate toward, and what's going on there is just boxes are being revealed. And then Jesus presents an option. Watch what happens. It's not about her. The whole problem with this scenario, Jesus says, the whole problem here, fellas, is that all of you little judges have failed to consider your own need for God. You now have made yourself right because you haven't committed adultery like she did. Because you didn't mess up the same way she did, you've made yourself, you've made yourself superior because your sin isn't the same as her sin. And in your superiority, you feel the right, based on the Word of God, to dehumanize her and strip away the image of God that I instilled in her. You want to take away somebody's dignity because they've fallen in a way different from the way that, that you fall. So, I, I want to get this situation back into proper perspective, fellas. I need to remind you, gentlemen, have you ever made a mistake? Have you ever been ashamed? Jesus makes it clear. Guys, the answer every time is not exposing the problem. It's not making a public spectacle of the problem. The answer, Jesus says, is seeing me. In other words, Jason needs to see Jason. Jason needs to take a long, hard look at himself. This is the problem beneath the problem. I 
am the problem beneath the problem. And y'all are awesome and I love you, but you are the problem beneath the problem. Yes, Jesus, there is a problem. And the only way for me to deal with it appropriately is for me to say, I need you more than she needs you. Mm, we're really getting down into it now. Y'all quiet. That's the, that's the only way to deal with someone who's fallen like that. Is to say, I need you. Jesus, I need you more than they do. And when you put yourself in the place of needing God more than the one with the problem you're concerned about, you're in the perfect position to let the justification of God flow through you into another life. You're in a per perfect position to do exactly what Jesus did, which was minister to the broken, not lord His rightness over somebody. And she gets to be human, and she gets to be made right, and you get to be a vessel for the love of God. Just a little more here. Jesus says, okay, let the perfect one among you cast the first stone. And what happens? They all left. Everybody drops their rocks, just like we used to do it in the Easter drama back at FPC. I don't know if any of y'all ever, but man, we would, we would chunk those rocks down, wouldn't we, Brian? Man, we'd be mad we couldn't throw those rocks at that poor woman. Our duct tape rocks. <laughs> So they, they've got to walk out. So what happens now? I mean, there's no oxygen left in the room, right? The box has been busted. The atmosphere has changed. And Jesus, Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? Now, it, it's real happy to get wrapped up in the, uh, I'm going to use this term, the sweet, sappy ending to this story. But look at what's really going on here. This is, this is Jesus. This is God manifest in the flesh. This is the Holy One, the Righteous One, the Blameless One, without sin. And He says, Woman, who is accusing you? She looks around. She says, Well, nobody. Nobody, Lord. There, there's nobody here accusing me. There's nobody left here that wants me to die. There's nobody left here that wants me to pay the price for the sin that I committed. There's nobody left here who wants to make me an example. Who wants to show everybody what happens whenever you make a mistake like mine. Nobody wants to publicly shame me. Nobody wants to, to put me in shame in public for what I did in private. And she's in the presence of God. Wow. I, I don't know if y'all are getting that. Guess who stayed? The religious leaders left. Other than the crowd says that they were in the middle of, guess who stayed? Guess who was still there after all of the accusers were gone? Jesus stayed. Now, was Jesus sinful? This is a key question here. 
Was Jesus sinful? No. Of course not. But based on His own requirement, based on His own prerequisites for stone throwing, He qualified. If there was anybody that could have chunked the first stone, it was Jesus. And He was the only one left there who could. And what He's telling us is that even if you were as qualified as I am to throw the first stone, you wouldn't want to. When you get to the place where you understand what I'm about and you have the right, then you never want to exercise it. Because you would be the embodiment of love itself. Jesus looks at her and He says, well, neither do I. Now, he, he doesn't say, okay, look, go, go live a happy life. Please use protection from now on. He doesn't, he doesn't sugarcoat it and gloss over her error. But He doesn't browbeat her with it either. Oh, where are the fruits of repentance in your life? No. He tells her, I, I don't condemn you. I still love you. You you are my daughter. Now get up. Go back to your life. And don't do this anymore. Stop, stop doing this. And get on with life. It is the perfect picture of redemption. And there is nothing in our lives that's more powerful than that right there. Getting out, of, getting out of the box. That means we think like Jesus thinks. We think, we think redemptively. When confronted... Okay, so let's, let's make this practical whenever I'm confronted with political and social ideas that I don't like. Whenever I'm confronted with people that have political and social ideas and religious ideas that I don't like. I think redemptively. When, when people and groups challenge us and challenge our... Come on, Pentecostals. Challenge our tradition. We stifle condemnation and we strive with how to love. How do I love that? How do I think redemptively toward that person? I'm almost done. We'll have time for a good discussion if y'all have any ideas. The problem beneath my problem is not that other person. It's not their worldview. It's not their alternative lifestyle. It's not the way that they interpret Scripture. That's not, my, that's not my problem. The problem is my own self-deception. The problem beneath the problem is that I don't see how much I still need you, Jesus. The problem is that the box I'm operating from is one of my own construction and it's, it's made up of my own efforts to self-correct. Lord, I, I need you more than anyone else. 
I'll go ahead and make this very personal today. Um, over the last month at work, uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm an assistant principal. Um, and one of, I mean, where I spend most of my time is with discipline, disciplining students for stupid stuff they do wrong. Uh, it's not a part of my job that I enjoy at all. Uh, it's very counter to my um, my own personality. Um, but it's it's something that I've just had to learn to do. Um, over the last several weeks, there have been at least three instances where I have dealt with students that did wrong, no question, way out of line, and got consequences for it. But the way that I talked to them and the way that I talked to other people about what they did was not at all in line with the character of Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit. So this stuff has been right here. So if I said anything today makes you feel bad about yourself, well then welcome to my world. We can all just feel bad about ourselves together. It's not just about condemnation. It's not just about bringing you down and showing where you messed up. It's about correcting the issue. We're operating from this position of self-deception. And what breaks us out of that box is to say, whatever is going on around me with the people around me, Jesus, I need you more than they do. I promise you, if we operate from that perspective, then a lot of these problems and issues will rectify themselves because we'll be operating from a perspective of love and not a perspective of who's right. Next week, we're going to talk about how we get in the box because most of, most of us were already there. Um, but we're going to talk about how we get in the box. Then we're going to talk about how we get out of the box. Um, and we'll talk about getting God and, and letting go. So that's where we're headed over the next few weeks with this series. Uh, good stuff. And um, I'm looking forward to it. Questions? Comments? Observations. I'd like to know how you let's just stick with the school thing as the best example we have to talk about it. You being the authority figure of authority there and all. I mean, how do you marry this and that? How, how do you make the kids pay the consequence so that the, the culture, the environment, or whatever you're trying to do at your school is uh, driven rather than say, hey, kid, did something really stupid or not even say that. Say, who's accusing you, boys? Going back to class. <laughs> um, that's a good question because the system in which I operate is not necessarily geared toward operating like Jesus did. Um, is there one that is? I don't know. Why do you ask the question? I mean, where, where, where is that? And I, I'll, I'll do my best to fumble through an answer, but you're asking me why I asked the question. Yeah, is there an application for for the rest of everybody in the room, or is it uh, just? No, uh, there's an application for everybody somehow. I mean, I couldn't pick them all out, but and, and because we've all got systems that we have to operate in, right? Sure. Be it at work, um, our families, our churches. Um, Here, here's the, the bottom line: is is there a consequence from one person to another? From one establishment. Let's, let's use that instead of person to person. From one establishment 
to another that, uh, or from one establishment to, a, to an individual that is okay, that doesn't do mm. what Jesus did. Okay. Because look, Jesus is the establishment, right? Right. He's the right one. And this is not necessarily a question for you, if anybody else... Well, it's a good question, and I don't have a good answer for it, so I love it whenever y'all do that kind of stuff. I can tell you how we do it on a case-by-case basis based on the history. One one of the boys we were with had been sexually abused, uh, all this stuff, and they're, they're acting out, and we're not going to punish him the same way uh, as another boy. It's just, man, it's just touchy on every different... So we read deep into their history where Jason's got to follow a certain set of guidelines and you've got to do it no matter what, right? I mean, on punishment. Um, it's just everybody's uh, history can change. So I, I don't see how you could... I don't know either. I'm right. saying the story. In the story, the lady Jesus, appears to have no consequence. Right. Jesus still loves you, right? Well, other than being dragged in front of the crowd and having her sin put out there for everybody to know, uh, then no, she did not have any consequences. I mean, not lawful consequences. What I mean. So that's not a real good example. I think the question is, it's different between Jesus and Jason. Of course, Jesus has the ability. Jesus has the ability to create or grant grace. Or Jason still has to obey. Still has rules. And when that lady was done with the so-called punishment, there was none. She was sin free. If this guy at school or whoever at school is, is not punished, you know, Jason doesn't have the within the rules of the system. He doesn't have that ability, yeah, that's authority. Fair. Yeah, I mean, it's just it. like you go rob a bank, kill somebody. God's gonna forgive you. You still have to go to jail. You still have to. Uh, but maybe well, it's something about showing compassion where you can yeah. within the limits of the system that you're in. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, mean, I deal with kids too. And, you know, I can correct them. There are multiple ways I can correct them, but maybe I need to be more aware of myself and try to show compassion where I can. Even though they still get comfortable. Passion with the within the limits of the, the law. Right. I, some, I deal with this every day, and I don't know if it applies to it, it can apply to business or whatever. If you're like Brian, with an employee, but something we started months ago and it's working great is we wait 24 hours, we wait till the next day before we apply a consequence, so we can cool down. That's good. And then we talk about it with other staff, then we make a decision. So we're not mad at that moment. They're sitting there cussing us out or whatever. Mm-hmm. We, we calm down, they calm down, then we make a decision. I mean, that, that's with dealing with teenage boys. But it is a good rule, probably with anybody. Had a comment or a all around this, this guy that you mentioned twice about the dude with the parachute problem. Uh, 
I mean, he was, and they weren't pants. <laughs> his problem was not his parachute pants. His problem was, which was a serious problem back in the early 80s. Obviously, this guy was dedicated to, the, to whatever he was doing, but he was dedicated to a fault. He, he had something in mind that he assumed, or in his, his brain, obviously, he thought was going to work. Obviously, he wouldn't have jumped off this Eiffel Tower or wherever it was that he jumped off of. And I think that can really translate equally into our lives, to our marriage, to our dealings with our kids, that we can be so hard-headed that this particular idea is going to work. Come hell, hell or high water, I'm going to make it work. And, and taking that idea and basically burning down the house with it. So there's a, there's a lot to be learned, to be learned from this, this guy's foolishness. Hmm. We do the same thing. I made the point in the lesson, and I think I made it both days, but we do the same thing whenever we get so locked into our own perspectives about anything. It doesn't necessarily have to be church, but it can be politics. It can be education. It can be in the way that you think about your spouse, your kids, or your ex, or whatever. Um, whenever we get locked, so locked into a certain frame of thought that we will not allow other information in. Now, the the I guess the um, what's the word I'm looking for? The catch twenty two comes in. You're locked in a box so that you won't allow new information in, but you can't get out of the box unless you allow in new information. Uh, what's the solution to that? Well, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the solution to that um, because he has a way of changing our perspective. So that just wrapped up the series. Oh, yeah. You're ready to move on, huh, John? Well, next week we're going to have a special guest speaker. John is going to come and present to us uh, something that makes us all feel wonderful about ourselves. Exactly what you just said. Probably what you're going to end up with on the series. It's always. The answer is it's always gets back to It has to get back to Jesus because anything else is going to uh, leave, us, leave us short. All right, well, uh, hey, let's pray real quick and we'll turn you on loose. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that you talk to us. Thank you for this great discussion today and, and the way that you stretch our brains and stretch our spirits at the same time. Uh, we need this and we need you. And we need you more than we, more than the problem needs you. We need you. So, uh, Lord, as we go through this, it's going to be uncomfortable, but expose our boxes. Expose them for what they are and allow us to see them. God, and show us how get out of it.